Hey there, and welcome back to The Will and Rob Show. Uh, it's great to be with you all. My name is Robert, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State. Uh, here with me in person for the first time in a long time is my colleague, Will Stockdale, also Ministry, ministry Associate with Ministry to State. Will, what's going on? Well, you said first time in a long time. It's true. That's that's true. We are in person. My question, though, is when was the last time we were recorded in person? Was it at your place out in Woodbridge? It had to have been. Um, or was it? I know you came out to Woodbridge one time when we got the new house, but I don't know if we recorded then. I think we haven't recorded since maybe in a maybe a full year. Listen, as as normal as it may be to record in person for a typical podcast, as per COVID, this is a very experimental listen. What you're tuning into right now is, in fact, Will and Rob show experimental version that will one day hopefully hopefully be normal. But at this point, who knows what could happen? It is. It's weird to be uh to think that we've done most of the show remotely, even though we both work for the same ministry in the same place. Um, and now we are doing this live in person. It is kind of weird. Um, but so much going on uh, in the news and what we want to talk about today. But before we get into all this, Will, how's, how's life going? Uh, Post-Easter time is going well. DC is is a little colder than I feel like it was last year. So it's kind of a little chillier outside, but uh, again, things are beautiful and love, uh, love seeing the giant cherry blossoms right outside my house window. Yeah. Cherry blossoms are like the, the crown jewel of DC in the spring. feels like it's weird though, that not a lot of people are traveling here to see them as they normally do. Um, I know that like, and since I've been in DC, this is always the time when like friends and family want to come visit because they want to go see the cherry blossoms. But now I think that a lot of that's like shut down because of COVID. Well, and maybe you and I've talked about this before, but the, uh, uh, this is my first real spring to experience cherry blossoms. And I know you said that it's not as many people as were here last year or in the past, but compared to last year, there are tons more people than, than what I saw. Yeah, that's probably true we're in that sort of like window where people are getting vaccinated and sort of moving towards normal life, but like not everybody's there yet. So it's like kind of this weird, like mix of, are we back to normal? Are we not? DC kind of feels uh, in some ways uh, different than the rest of the country in, in, in with respect to COVID just because I think, I don't know, people seem a little bit more, wary of a lot of going back to normal. Well, I did see the CDC said what one in five people are vaccinated at this point, something like that. I got my first vaccine on Saturday. So I got round one of Moderna. Uh, I have to wait 28 days for my next shot, but I'm looking forward to being among the, uh, the pure. (laughs) Gosh. Yeah. I'm waiting to get mine. I'm on the list in Virginia, but they haven't knocked, they haven't uh, bumped me up yet. So hopefully I'll get my text here pretty soon. I can go. I was talking to my neighbor who got his uh, first shot the other day and uh, he took a bunch of pictures and it's basically like they cleared out this like sports equipment store and they still have like all of like the signs up and everything. It was so it looked really funny, but um, hopefully I'll get to do that here pretty soon uh, because I am looking forward to as long with as as with everybody uh, going back to a more normal uh, routine of living. What exactly do you know about the Johnson and Johnson scare? So the Johnson and Johnson scare, I think, is linked to blood clots, right? Right, there was, I knew that. 
So, but like the numbers are so small and I, I don't, don't hear, uh, 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 are we not a medical endorsement? <laughs> we are not, we are not doing any sort of endorsement of any particular but vaccine. You right in our wheelhouse. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like prescription endorsements and advertisements for, we're supposed to stay in our lane. Will we don't know science very well enough to, to give people recommendations, Look, but we all have been tell. in seminary classrooms where the opinions run wild. And so I, I'm sure that that some people consider it within our wheelhouse. Isn't it hilarious that like COVID has made everybody like like epidemiologist and like scientist experts? Yes. Um, it is. I don't know why strange. you think that's funny. That seems to be true, though. <laughs> actually be that good at it um the johnson johnson thing i think is linked to there were like six women who had blood clots related to it but like the numbers were so small i saw people were posting like more you know what's more likely to happen to you like get a blood clot from the johnson and johnson vaccine or like you know be mauled by a bear or stuck struck by lightning and like the odds are just way off you have way way more chance of like like being mauled by a bear being mauled by a bear being struck by lightning than getting a blood clot from the johnson johnson per the stats they have right now it's fun. I have you watched any of like the uh, like the funny like videos about people getting vaccines? Like they make jokes about it and stuff. Oh, there's some of them are hilarious. I'll have to share a couple with them. Please do. Um, my my favorite was uh, a buddy of ours texted uh, us after he got the vaccine, and uh, basically just started as he was texting us, just progressively started slipping in like Microsoft like program words. Um, and it was, uh, it was quite hilarious. So, yeah, I jokingly asked the friend who said they had an, uh, a vaccine that opened because someone canceled their appointment. They were making sure it didn't go to waste. So that's how I got to get my vaccine. And I jokingly said, will this turn me into a zombie? Am I going to be tracked? Uh, will my mind be controlled by Microsoft? And she said, I'm glad you're joking, but you have no idea how many times I've gotten those questions for real. Oh my gosh. And so there's, there's a lot of that going around. What, what, what has been called misinformation? Yes, fake news. Fake news, both of those things. But we're here to talk about real news. That's true. Real things. That's true. Real matters. And there's something that has maybe a sentiment that is circulating, is going around, and has been expressed every now and then um, that has kind of made a little bit of a splash of late. And uh, Robert, I know you're the one who shared this with me, but I wanted to, uh, yeah, tee this up to you to take off. Well, like, so yesterday we're recording this on Wednesday. Yesterday, um, there was a tweet that was going viral, uh, uh, on Twitter. And I don't, I don't really want to get like in the weeds, like a Twitter debate, because that can be boring and, and in some ways pointless, but I think it does reflect a larger, uh, conversation that's going on um, and sort of mainstream evangelicalism. And it has to do with, um, the disparate, the, the sort of the disparity or the differences between urban and rural ministry contexts between, um, sort of more elite, uh, uh, affluent Northeast culture or city culture, as opposed to sort of, um, more working class blue collar cultures in the South, so it's kind of got this north-south divide. It's got this urban rule, rich, poor uh, sort of uh, uh, distinctions to it. Um, but there's been a lot of talk around sort of quote unquote Bible Belt Christianity and sort of celebrating its demise as a uh, as a sort of quasi-Christian culture. Um, and I kind of wanted to spend some time talking about Bible Belt Christianity 
uh, some of the misconceptions or uh, some of the things that we do see as sort of worthy of critique because we currently work in an urban ministry context, but come from the Bible Belt. And even and I think one thing we want to talk about is even some of the differences in our own experiences in the Bible Belt, because I do think they are different in some ways, even though they have a lot in common. Um, but let me let me just start with this. Like when you hear the phrase Bible Belt Christianity, like what do you what do you think of? I think of that brand of cultural Christianity, which exists anywhere there is Christianity. That is unique to the uh, southeastern portion of the United States and Bible Belt Christianity is typically linked to, I would say, um, an identification as one is born in a certain location where Christianity is the dominant religion. Therefore, one is in fact a Christian, regardless of any heart change that has taken place. And so uh, I think that is what people mean most of the time when they talk about at least the region of Bible Belt Christianity. But I did want to say, what was it exactly that was said that kind of triggered this thought and generated a lot of conversation uh, so that we're having this conversation right now? Yeah, so the tweet was this. It, it, it was from a pastor uh, uh, in Tennessee. Uh, uh, he said, I rejoice at the decline of Bible Belt religion. It made bad people worse in the name of Jesus. Now, may we actually believe in him so that our churches stand out with both the truth of gospel doctrine and the beauty of gospel culture. To that end, I gladly devote my life. Um, so that's kind of the context. I'm glad you you brought that up. Um, yeah, I think going back to kind of what you were saying about what is Bible Belt Christianity, I think you're right to say it's a sort of uh, identity uh, issue. It, it's a, I am from this place. Therefore, I am Christian. Um, and I think what is striking to me about that is that that's not exactly unique in any way to um, the Bible Belt. And it's not even unique to Christianity in general. You know what I mean? Like people always find some identity or, or, or appropriate some identity based on where they're from. And this happens in religions as well. It happens in um, uh, Muslim uh, communities. It happens in uh, Buddhist communities. It, it, it's sort of uh, 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 Orthodox communities. You know, being from sort of Eastern European makes you. Uh, I've heard of. I've heard people say this, like being from certain parts of the Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe means you're either Catholic or you're Orthodox, and that's just sort of the way it's it goes. Um, so it. it I think it's important to state out from the from the front, like that's not a unique phenomena to the southeast region of the country. Right, I agree with you. Um, but I think what what people are really getting at is um, whether or not this phenomena of Bible Belt Christianity one is it good? Should are there does it need to be celebrate? You know, do we need to celebrate its demise, or are there portions of Bible Belt Christianity that need to be preserved or, or considered? Um, so I think that's one area of argument. And then I think the other argument is like the unique barriers it, it creates to gospel presentation and even uh, evangelism. Um, because, you know, you'll hear this sort of, it's almost a cliche now, right? Like ministering to folks in the Bible Belt is harder 
than sort of unchurched contexts because people already assume they're saved. Um, and you hear that sort of sentiment a lot, especially if you if you gravitate more towards like urban ministry or sort of the for the city uh, parachurch organizations. Um, but I think it's right to sort of we're at a point where we're right to say, is that is that necessarily true or is that uh, does that come from someplace else? Um, and so I guess let, let's start with that first part. Like, is do we need to celebrate the demise of Bible about Christianity? Well, I think in a in a um, celebrate the demise of Bible Belt Christianity, uh, celebrating demise is kind of a tricky thing. I think we can be encouraged when contexts arise where we are able to more clearly see what Christianity looks like shining in a dark world. And so when when we can see true Christianity clearly, that is a good thing. Now, celebrating the demise of cultural Christianity, uh, I don't know how good that is simply because there will be certain elements that, uh, while they're not lead to salvation, why they don't lead to people spending eternity with Jesus, they do create contexts that are healthier for people, as in, in a cultural Christianity, if, if, if divorce is more frowned upon, isn't that a better world to live in than where no-fault divorce and quick divorces are readily granted? Isn't that something that we would prefer? Right. That, yeah, I think you're getting at the, the sort of the, the point of a more Kyperian worldview of culture and Christianity, which is that like we believe certainly that uh, there is a distinct, you know, a distinct between uh, people who have come into an encounter with Jesus Christ personally and know him as Lord and Savior, and those who sort of appropriate or accommodate to a sort of Christian culture, but that 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 Christianity, that religion does provide for the common good and common flourishing, even for folks who don't necessarily believe or hold to all of its orthodox tenets. Um, so I think you're getting at a right, good point, which is that um, we should celebrate when uh, the broader culture, even if not members of the invisible church, uh, reflect certain uh, good ways that the Lord has ordered uh, for us to live. And I think you're right to point out things about divorce. I think people have rightly pointed out that as um, churches uh, in sort of the Southeast Appalachia area, as they've sort of um, gone away or, or had to shut their doors and people have become more unchurched as a consequence of that, you know, you can also trace things like the opiate crisis, joblessness, uh, homelessness. Uh, there's a lot of bad lamentable things that happen when people don't have access, uh, to a, a church or the, the benefits that a church provides to a community. Um, and I think we need to keep that in mind as we talk about this question of the sort of the falling away of Bible about Christianity, because something will replace it. It's just, a, it's just a question of what is that thing? Yeah. And I guess there's two things we can maybe separate here. One is wherever Christianity exists, we want it to be the true Orthodox form of Christianity. One for it to be that which is based on scripture, that which exalts and praises the resurrected Christ, that which is Trinitarian 
and has a biblical ethic that follows. Then we also want for that Christianity to impact the culture surrounding it and to inform ethical norms, ethical right and wrong understanding into that culture. And that's to be what people assume and live by. Um, and I, when I say regardless of whether or not they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, I don't mean that to say like, I don't care whether or not they come to know Jesus. I, I would, if I had a choice between there being a pagan ethic and everyone who heard Christian believing in Christianity or there being um, a... Uh, uh, well, so let me ask you this. Like, well, I think what you're trying to get at right here is that in a realist sense, our, our options don't have to be New Jerusalem or Sodom and Gomorrah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like we can hope for a Christian ethic that permeates society um, to some degree and, and not lose a vigor for evangelism. Does that, you don't have, just because um, a society reflects a certain Christian ethic, Christian social ethic um, doesn't necessarily mean that like the work of evangelism and the work of the church has stopped. And, uh, you don't actually need like full on paganism in order to make Christianity viable, like a real Orthodox faith viable. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what I'm trying to say. And I think that's what you're kind of getting at is like, um, we shouldn't like want to, to, to make sure that Christianity shines brightly. We don't necessarily have to like hope that the rest of the world falls into complete darkness. Um, the, the, the light of the church can still shine brightly, even amongst a society that does in some ways reflect that light, um, if not, per, you know, even though it's not perfect, and even if it's not necessarily um, uh, reflected by people who truly are members of the body of Christ. Um, it's a, having a, a, a society that's permeated with Christian social ethic is still, can still be a good place to raise children, um, uh, to raise, a, you know, to have a family, uh, to do good for your community. Um, and, and the reality is that those, that, that happens everywhere. Um, uh, regardless of, of sort of how well the society reflects a broader social or a broader Christian ethic. Right. I mean, the question maybe is, would you rather have your kids grow up in a context where they're told not to steal from their neighbor or where everyone's neighbors steal from each other? I mean, you'd probably much rather have your kid raised in a world where the neighbors are telling your kids, Hey, don't steal from, you know, that seems like a much better better place to uh, ba basically just buttress your parenting and support it as well. Uh, the other thing here is there's a lot that's going on in, in Christian circles that is talking about the hope of cultural renewal. And you get the same people that are very much in these intellectual high towers and urban centers who are all about cultural redemption, this, this creation, uh, fall redemption, reconciliation movement, who are all about that, which would mean a Christian ethic. Would, like when we talk about this view of Christians are in the world to be salt and light and to be part of representing Christ, to be redemptive in our work and our lives, the ethic that we're seeking to instill is uniquely Christian. It is not partly Christian. It's not Hindu. It's not Buddhist. It's not Islam. It is, in fact, a Christian 
ethic. And so there seems to be some like double talk going on here amongst people who say, hey, I, we really we really want to be about cultural redemption, and yet we don't want cultural Christianity. I don't see how, how that can be the case. Otherwise, um, the only thing that matters is people being in the churches on Sundays and, and the day-to-day work of being salt and light of representing God's kingdom at work doesn't mean anything. That's a really good point. I think you, you bring out, uh, I, I saw that point sort of being made as well on Twitter that um, there's a sort of the praxis not mac- matching up with the theory in some way. Um, and it, it, if you want cultural redemption, uh, it means that these things are going to permeate into the broader culture. Um, and like, either you believe they're true or not, right? Like either you believe that um, uh, marriage between a man and a woman is the created order of, of the sovereign God. And he did it for all humans, all people everywhere um, for their good, or you, or you really don't. And um, I think that, yeah, to, to wish for a cultural redemption without uh, quote unquote cultural Christianity is sort of a, a double standard that can't be. Can't yeah. Be it's right. kind of unrealistic. Yeah. Ultimately what is what it comes down to. Is it the best that will we hope for? No. Is it what will one day be? No, but it is a result, I think. And there's a lot of good. I think it's also um, what happens also just from a human standpoint is how these kind of messages are received, like from the Ray Ortland tweet, who is who's the one who said what you quoted, uh, the pastor in Nashville. How that's read is okay, sure, Nashville is the South. However, it's a major urban center. How that's heard by people who aren't in major urban centers or who are south of the Mason Dixon line is oh, you hate us and you look down on us and think that we're lesser than. And you, you don't like our culture. You don't like our way of life. You don't appreciate how we do things. You don't actually love our neighbors like we do. So you know what? We don't want anything. What's going to happen is there's going to be a growing sense of resentment and a growing and deeper divide between people. And also, you know, you asked me earlier, what is cultural Christianity. And you said this also, we grew up in cultural Christianity. That is now I grew up also with parents who love Jesus and who are faithful to to Christianity. And um, I wasn't a cultural Christian, but I did grow up in that context. And there were just certain things that were expressed and understood. But at the same time, I was never taught that everyone who was born in Dallas, Texas, was a Christian like that, that wasn't something that I was taught. And so there can almost be this throwing a baby out with the bathwater by just being wholly dismissive of it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And that's kind of where I want to move this conversation because I do think it's true that people in the Bible belt are acutely aware of this phenomena, like more so than I think people calling out Bible Belt Christianity understand. And so like I can remember growing up also in sort of the DFW suburbs that, you know, 
someone would articulate like a like a store clerk or a neighbor uh, would articulate some sort of quasi Christian spiritualism, right? Some idea that you know, well, God's looking out for me, or you know, it's, it's kind of these general cliches that you hear in sort of Bible Belt Christianity. And like, I can hear my in my head, I can hear when my mom turned on her evangelizing voice. Like she had a sense that just because this person articulated something sort of quasi-Christian spiritual, you know, spiritually Christian, that that person may not actually have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that it was, it was part of her calling as a disciple of Christ to proclaim the gospel to everyone, even people who think they understood it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that that's just, I think that that's more common amongst Bible Belt Christians uh, than uh, uh, people who speak into it understand um, that people are acutely aware of this. People know who's not going to church on Sundays. People know um, who is, uh, you know, sort of living out the Christian life, uh, you know, Monday through Saturday and who's not. I mean, people kind of get that. I Yeah. To the point about your mom, I'm thankful for a long line of godly women here who've raised men and young men and women. But I remember one time my younger sister was at a softball game and my mom had left her keys on the bleachers. And one of my, uh, well, uh, one of the moms of, of one of the players on my sister's team picked the keys, like whose keys are these? She couldn't tell. And then she saw a keychain that had like, a, uh, it wasn't like a Bible verse, but it had like these, you know, spiritual disciplines on it type thing. And she looked at it and said, who's keys of these. Oh, well, these must be genetics. Cause I wouldn't have, these are too Christian for me. And I remember it actually really broke my mom's heart because she understood that this person that she's next to was actually a cultural Christian and not actually a follower of Jesus. And that, um, like you mentioned with your mom, being able to notice those things, I think that that is picked up on actually in people who live in Christian culture. Well, and this is important to point out too, because I think we have to make sure sh- we have to understand that like, just because uh, people sort of share a regional uh, similarity, like being in the Bible belt, like Christian cultures, even within the Bible belt are completely unique. I mean, I think uh, the most charitable reading of that tweet is going after probably the cultural Christianity that I grew up that I would agree is quite pernicious. Uh, And that's the cultural Christianity that's mostly expressed in sort of upper middle-class white, you know, affluent suburbs of like places like the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, where the megachurch culture is very popular and prevalent. Um, And there's no, uh, there's not really the same sort of priority on things like church membership uh, or, do, uh, uh, life together, as you know, Bonhoeffer liked to say, or you know, the idea of bearing one another's suffering, um, because it it can be incredibly materialistic and individualistic. Um, so, like, yeah, that's that is a sort of pernicious form of Bible, of Bible about Christianity. But I think for a lot of people too, especially as you move out of sort of those suburbs and you go into more rural areas that's that are much more blue collar, um, much more uh, uh, middle class, uh, lower middle class. Um, that's not the same sort of Bible Belt cultural Christianity. It's actually way different. 
Um, and uh, there's actually a lot there that I think is very, uh, are, are things that we can affirm and, and we should want to support and, and build up. I mean, you, you actually brought this example uh, to me, to my uh, mind yesterday that I think is perfect. Like as you sort of move out into those spaces, you know, you, you do become uh, in places that are less populated, they're a little less dense, but people know who people are. Even if you know that so-and-so kind of lives, you know, Mr. Jenkins lives sort of, you know, on, off on his own at his own property, doesn't have a lot of interaction with people. People still know him and are sort in somewhat, uh, he sort of lives within some people's consciences. Um, it's really easy to disappear uh, in really populated urban contexts. I mean, how many people in DC can, can testify that they don't actually know who their neighbors are and they live in an apartment building? Is that, you know, which one is better? I mean, that's, that's a real question that we have to grapple with. And to sort of, like you said, throw the baby out with the bathwater, I think can be, can be misleading. And I think, again, uh, one of the problems, one of the sad things about people who live in major urban centers is there's a sense of anonymity and alienation that happen within these centers. And you don't know your neighbors. You don't really know many people. Um, there's a, there's a, it's making communities very, very difficult. Now that's a truth and that's not a good truth for people in urban areas. They're also far more progressive in terms of sexual ethics, for example, uh, certain ideologies that are very um, post-Christian, I would say, are not adhering to uh, a Christian understanding of ethics. It would be wrong for someone who is part of this Bible Belt culture to rejoice in that state of affairs in an urban center. Now, when someone like Ray Ortland again, tweets what he tweets, and he says, I am delighted, basically, at the demise, then what he does as a leader, particularly is open the door for people to say the same thing, but about urban areas. And that is not what we want. And it seems to me, among other things, not only is it, is it uh, inconsistent, not only is it unkind, it also is a little foolish in what it promotes as a leader. And again, the the divide between the people who love what he said and the people who despise what he said already existed there before. And that divide has only gotten deeper because of these kind of comments. And the problem is, again, it's not just that it's on Twitter. It's like you like to say, you're saying the quiet part out loud that people get, oh, we, we thought you thought this all along. And now we know for sure that you do. And so why would we want to hang out with you when you just you're excited about our world falling apart. The important part to say here, right, is that every Christian subculture inoculates its members against hard realities of the Christian life that 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 certain subculture doesn't necessarily want to deal with. Um, in the South, I, I you know for sure there are things to critique about the Bible about cultural Christianity. I mean. Uh, the, the, the way that people do tend to identify um, with their sort of Southern heritage with Christian saving faith is, is bad and we should absolutely lament it. But that doesn't mean that doesn't, ha doesn't happen other places. I mean, there's absolutely a Christian subculture in the Northeast uh, that's incredibly meritocratic, uh, a sort of form of God helps those who, helps themsel who help themselves. Um, and there is, I have noticed up here, there is a less... Uh, emphasis on on bearing one another's burdens, the idea of of 
joining in suffering with other people, uh, particularly like very personal moments, is kind of uh, put at arm's length. I mean, that that's that's a reality of this Christian subculture up here. Now, the hard part is when you get into the into the place of saying, well, let's let's weigh one against the other. And I think that that's just a fruitless endeavor. I, I don't see the point of doing that. I think it's it's more important to say, wherever the Lord has called me in in ministry, I need to identify what um, uh, the the context is here and and tailor my ministry to it um, and and really go after the idols that that I'm encountering. And it's not really helpful or fruitful to sort of lob bombs at places either you're not familiar with um, or uh, really uh, speak into in a certain way. And I I think that's important to remember is that, and I think I said that I said this last uh, episode, like the, the, the spiritual warfare is being fought on many fronts and it's really sort of a, a silly thing to me that we're sort of like, internally debating okay which front is more important uh when we should really just be fighting the battles where where we find them and so that's kind of that's kind of my whole like reaction to all of this yeah no that's good i think that's probably a a good place to land this at this point that um we are all called to a certain place the bible speaks a lot about land and it speaks a lot about the importance of place and location. And we have, whether it's DC or Pittsburgh or Cincinnati or Dallas or San Francisco, we're called to be faithfully ministering in that locale and not to some broader global Christianity that lacks any shape. And we need to understand and appreciate those contexts and seek to love and to share the gospel where God has placed us. And they're going to be unique challenges and unique benefits to each one of those. And um, rather than giving negative messages of, of, you know, rejoicing over hurt, um, we should seek to support our brothers and sisters where God has called them. Well said. Well, it's been awesome. This has been a fun conversation. I'm sure that we'll continue this on at some point. It's, it's probably only going to be more amplified. Uh, as time goes on. So uh, thank you again for listening to the Will and Rob show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Artie Hassler. Will is at Stockdale Will. Uh, Make sure to check out ministryofstate.org and we'll see you guys again next week.